missed that. Switched on. I'm switched on, yeah. Do you mean this thing here? Yes. As if anybody would want to listen to this again, eh? This is getting recorded, by the way, so you can supposedly listen to it on the internet if you want. Um, but I'm not sure you want to do that. Okay, I'm just trying to find. We're going to start with a, um, a quiz this morning. Um, so if Nathan then puts up, not that bit, whatever that is. Um, oh, it's just gone. What, closed down? Do you know what? It's, uh, my work, start recovery. We'll give it a sec. If it doesn't work, we'll just move on without it. It's a great quiz. Sorry. There you go. Okay. So, now that we uh, just open the slides there, yeah. Go up to view. View. Up the top right, left. Top left, view. Top left. View. And slideshow. Yes, right. Okay. Right. Uh, what you need to do is, um, I don't know how many people are sitting here, 30 people maybe, 40 people. Um, I need you to raise your hand. Uh, all these people up here have got something in common, okay, or all these people, all these things, okay, but something in common. Um, if you've been coming for a few weeks, you'll probably know before I've even started talking, okay. But anyway, um, press the person here. Oh, press that again. There you go, this person here, sir. Nigel Elton Scheinwald, or Wow. Anyway, looks like Bosch. Emily, no? Okay. Next one. A brown car from the 80s. My dad had one of these. No? No guesses what links those two things there. No? Okay, next one. Edward Chaplin, ever heard of him? You ignorant bunch. I haven't either, actually, okay, okay so don't worry. Um, next one. Amy, man, who's the, I'm not quite sure. I'm not sure John the Baptist actually looked like that. Okay. Um, John the Butcher. Yeah, it looks more like a butcher than a Baptist. Anyway, do you have any clues yet? Nobody knows one word that connects all these people now. Okay, keep going. What about this one? There's a whole bunch of people that are probably most of you are sitting here in those pictures there. And somehow those five images there are connected by uh, what we're going to look at this morning. And the word is the ambassadors. Okay, this guy on the left, he's supposedly the ambassador to the USA, like the UK ambassador. And the one on the right is supposedly the UK ambassador to Italy. I've never heard of him. I can't believe you never got it from the car. The ambassador, no? Is that completely over people's heads? Like, it's maybe just because we had one. I don't think they were very popular <laughs> or very common. But we had one of those proud ambassadors that looked just like that at home. And the Campbell family used to trek around. Scotland in that car. We actually had a green one as well. My dad liked them that much. We got two. So, uh, shocking. <laughs> Probably. Uh, right, so, I hope that we see today that God has called us as Christians uh, to be ambassadors. Um, it's a bit of a strange term, so we're going to dig in and find out what that phrase actually means and what it means for us. Um, but I just want to read uh, the passage again because Steve didn't read all of it. Uh, so, if you go to 2 Corinthians, okay, it's on page 816. Uh, chapter 5, um, and we're going to start actually at verse 11, so we're just going to read the first few verses before that. Um, so it's the bit that starts, on page 816, it's a bit on the left hand side that starts with the bit that starts the ministry of reconciliation. Um, there's some big words, 
but hopefully we'll understand as we go through today as well. So it's a little number 11 that we start at. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is um, seen well and what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore God's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, uh, Wikipedia uh, defines an ambassador as like an envoy or a diplomat, um, which to me brings up like a traditional image. I think there's another picture on the next one, Nathan. Um, this is, I don't know if you've ever seen the film Passage to India, it's got lots of like, diplomats and ambassadors in it. But it brings up this image in my mind, when I think of an ambassador, of somebody sitting in, I don't know, India or Kenya, sipping tea and playing croquet or cricket or something like that. That's kind of what it brings up to me. Um, but an ambassador is basically someone who's sent from one government or a kingdom um, to another to represent the place that they've been sent from. Okay, that's basically what it is. Um, an ambassador um, is not sent there to like, manipulate or interfere with the affairs of the government that they've gone to, but he's sent to that country to attend to the affairs of his own government um, that may arise in that place. Okay? So they live in a foreign country, and part of their job is showing everyone who lives in that foreign country how amazing his home country is. It's part of their job as an ambassador, as a representative. Um, so how on earth are we supposed to be ambassadors? Because Paul here tells us, um, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. How does that make sense? Okay. Um, so some of us have never really travelled abroad, um, let alone represented our country in foreign affairs. Um, and to be fair, not many of us are particularly distinguished individuals. Um, so it doesn't appear a word that suits many of us here, I wouldn't have thought. Um, and somehow the job description, ambassador, doesn't really fit us. I'm not, doesn't, certainly from, I wouldn't associate myself with um, when I look at my own life. Um, we're going to look at five headings. Okay, they're not punchy at all. Um, I think there are slides where they'll come up. Um, they're not catchy in the slightest way. But basically, um, just these are the five points we're going to go through. So if you're nodding off, you'll know how far we've got through each one. Okay, I've got about seven bits of paper here, and each one takes about two or three minutes to get through. So if you can do your maths, we're going to be here for about 15, 20, 20 minutes, maybe a little bit longer. Um, so the first one is ambassadors. We need to represent the king, not ourselves. Um, to represent the king, you need to know that person's character. 
Uh, we're going to look at an ambassador has authority to take out a message um, on behalf of the king. Um, an ambassador works in a foreign country, but they live in an embassy. Um, and then finally we're going to look at um, the fact that an ambassador is a great honour and a great privilege. Okay, so first of all, an ambassador, um, as ambassadors, we must represent the king, not ourselves. So if we just read verses 14 and 15 again, um, it says, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for, for him who died for them and was raised again Christ's love compels us um, I'm not sure if I should admit to watching this TV program um, but I do it's called Vampire Diaries <laughs> anybody else watch it now? If you don't, oh right, one person watches it, okay. You're not going to get this illustration. But anyway, basically, apparently, vampires have the uh, power to compel or force humans um, to do things against their will, okay? And usually in this TV series, um, it seems to be that a vampire will compel someone to forget something that they shouldn't have remembered. So basically, a vampire might go and eat someone or something, and they'll compel the people that have seen them so as they forget, forget, okay? Um, so they're kind of compelling them in a negative way, in a controlling way, um, to do something that they shouldn't want, they shouldn't do, or they shouldn't want to do, okay, or they shouldn't see. Um, but here we're reading um, that Christ's love compels us to do something positive. So it's the same word, compelling. Um, it kind of—it's a force. It coerces us. Um, it forces us to do something. But what is it that we read to you? What actually that God's love is making us do? But it's saying that, um, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him. So basically, I think Christ's love should make us live not for us, but for God. Okay? Because of God's amazing sacrificial love, we are compelled to live for him. We're no longer to live for ourselves, but for our king. And it's God's love in sending his son to die instead of us that should be our motivation to live for Jesus and to stand up and to say, I'm an ambassador because I'm representing a king. And then verse 17 goes on, and it kind of reinforces this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. So our old lives have gone, and we have been made new. And yet, why do we find that so difficult? Because um, why don't we live as if we are a new creation? Um, why don't we want to keep living for ourselves? Why do we want to keep living for ourselves rather than living for Jesus? Um, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we admit that often we don't really want to be an ambassador for the king. We would rather be the king ourselves. Um, the reason that most people don't recognize um, ambassadors for God is because most of God's ambassadors don't actually um, act like ambassadors. Um, we know the things we like. We know the people we want to be with. And our lives quickly fall back to being all about my desires, my will, my way. And that's why the Bible here says we must die. Like, we must die to um, being kings of our own life. Uh, and it's only then that we can represent the one true king. Um, as ambassadors, our lives, and again, if you just think about this word ambassadors and what it means for these people who are ambassadors for the UK, I suppose. Um, but as ambassadors, our lives do not belong to us for our own benefit. Um, we are here to be representatives of Christ in all circumstances. No matter where we are, we represent Jesus. 
And people form their opinions of God and the gospel from what they see and hear from us. And it's unfortunate that many of us will sometimes act like tourists instead of acting like ambassadors. And we give the world the wrong impression of Jesus. So how can we best represent the king in the various situations that we all face? So in our marriage, as a parent, as a friend, in work, their leisure, in church. And I can think um, that these verses kind of start, um, basically tell us that to start, we need to recognize that being an ambassador isn't like a part-time job. It's a complete lifestyle. Um, your life ceases to be its own, and it now belongs to Jesus. Every part of it. Not every Christian is called to be like a full-time um, worker like Steve, who works full-time for church, but every one of us is called to full-time Christian living. So it's not a part-time job. And as ambassadors, our primary concern should be about God's reputation, not about our own. We should be concerned that our rebellion gives God a bad name amongst our friends and our family. We should be concerned that it's like God's character in the media affects how people view him. But unfortunately, we're often more concerned um, about our own issues and our own personal interests um, than of God's. So it kind of leads to the next point, which um, is number two. Um, to represent the king, we need to know the character of the king. So if you've got a job as an ambassador um, of a country and you knew nothing about it or you'd never been to that country, you wouldn't be able to do a very good job of representing it. Um, likewise, for us to do a good job of representing Jesus to an unbelieving world, we need to spend time getting to know him, which means spending time with him on a regular basis, reading his words, spending time praying and growing closer to him. Um, knowing God doesn't simply mean knowing what he's like. Um, it's not about like, brain power. Um, and for example, Satan himself has witnessed lots of demonstrations of God's true, true character. But he despises it. He hates God's character. So true knowledge of God um, requires a really close friendship between God and the individual. So what do these verses here? Just we're going to pick up a couple of things. What these verses shows about God's character, and hopefully we'll get a really good glimpse of His love, His mercy, and His grace. And then if we put on the next slide, Nathan, I just you might not be able to read it here, but it might help if you're reading through. I've just highlighted a few little things in red there, okay, which. I'm going to talk about, and then you can read the context if you want yourselves as we go through them. Um, so firstly, in verses 14 and 15, God's love, we're reminded that uh, Christ died for us. And then in verse 18, it goes on and it says, um, God reconciled us to himself through Christ. So a couple of words here we just want to try and dig into. Um, imagine two friends who have a fight or a big argument. Um, so the good relationship that they once had um, is strained to the point of breaking. They stop speaking to each other, and communication is really awkward, and the one's friends gradually become strangers. Um, such a rift right, can only be um, reversed by reconciliation. Okay? So to be reconciled is to be restored to friendship or harmony. That's what the word means. So when old friends resolve their differences and restore their uh, relationship, reconciliation has occurred. And verse 18 says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. 
and he, he has committed us to the message. Oh, sorry, that's a repeat. <laughs> Um, so the Bible says that Christ reconciled us to God. Um, and the fact that we needed reconciliation means that our relationship with God was broken. Um, since God is holy, we were the ones to blame. And our sins alienated us from him. Um, the Bible it tells us in Romans that like, we are God's enemies. That's before you're a Christian, you are an enemy of God. That's what the Bible tells us. And then um, when Jesus died on the cross... Basically, he satisfied God's judgment and made it possible for all of his enemies to find peace with him. Our reconciliation to God requires God's grace and his forgiveness of our sins. And the result of Jesus' sacrifice is that our relationship has changed from being an enemy to being friends with God. We were his enemies, we're now his friends. We were in a state of condemnation because of our sin but we're now forgiven. We were at war with God, but we now have a peace with God because of his love for us. And then the last sentence of the chapter there, uh, verse 21, right at the end, it says, um, said again, be reconciled to God. So this is the message that we have to take as ambassadors. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God um, and again, what does it mean to become the righteousness of God? Um, what can we learn from that about God's character? Well, <clears throat> the Bible standards of righteousness um, is God's like own perfection in every attribute, every attitude, every behaviour, every word is perfect. And the bad news is <clears throat> that true and perfect righteousness okay, isn't possible for us to achieve on our own. Simply, the standard is simply too high. I don't worry about that, sorry. Um, what's that annoying? Um, but basically, yeah, so God's righteousness is absolute perfection, and we can't achieve that, can we? It's just overly. Um, but the good news is that this true righteousness is possible for everyone, but it's only available by cleaning away um, our sin by Jesus and the living inside us of the Holy Spirit. Um, we have no ability to achieve righteousness um, by ourselves, but if you're a Christian here this morning, you possess righteousness of Christ. Because as it says here, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. It's pretty amazing. Like, but on the cross, Jesus exchanged our sin for his perfect righteousness, so that one day we can stand before God, and he won't see our sin, but he'll see the perfect righteousness of Jesus. So this means that we're made right, uh, righteous in the sight of God. We're accepted as righteous. And we're treated as righteous by God on the account of what Jesus has done. He was made sin, we are made righteous. On the cross, Jesus was treated as if he was a sinner, though he was perfectly holy and perfectly pure. And we are treated now as if we are righteous, even though we were spoiled and totally corrupt. So we've received this precious gift of righteousness from God. And um, all his mercy and his grace. And that pretty much kind of shows the character of God. If we want to represent the king, we need to know his loving grace and merciful character. And to know God means we've got to have experienced that. We've got to have experienced this character. It's not just about reading it and understanding it. It's experiencing it for ourselves. So thirdly, the ambassador has the authority to take 
a message on behalf of the king. So in the Bible, um, there's a very clear link between the role of an ambassador and a messenger. Um, and we need to get this idea of like an ambassador being like a passive dignitary out of our minds um, and think more of an ambassador being a messenger. That's the primary function. Um, there's a verse in Ephesians, just a few pages on from where we are. It's Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19. Um, it's quite short. You don't need to look it up. It just says, Pray also for me that whenever I speak, <coughs> words may be given me, so that I will speak fearle- so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So it's another part of the Bible that uses the phrase ambassador. It uses the word, whenever I speak, I will make known the mystery of the gospel, that I may declare it. So it's very much linking that word ambassador to talking about it. Okay, pretty much the point. And you see, it's not just enough um, just to act the part of an ambassador, to take, to, you know, to, to look good and act in a way that reflects God's character. As ambassadors, we need to speak out on behalf of God um, and to take his message to the world. And again, let's just see, um, there's a few little points within the text I'm looking at, which hopefully emphasize this. But now that the projector's gone off, you just have to find them yourselves. Um, basically, there's a couple in verse 11, 18, 19, and 20. I'll, I'll read them out as we go. Um, but first of all, um, it's just a point that we've got authority to do this, okay? An ambassador's um, commissioned from the government or a king sent out to the country under authority. Um, and verse 18 here tells us it's God who's given us this ministry of reconciliation. He give, he's given us a job to do. Um, and if it's from God, basically we should get on and do it. Yeah? Like, who are we to even think about questioning God? Um, if you've been here a while, um, you'll know that when we were studying Acts earlier in the year, um, Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus says that you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And as, as Christ's ambassadors, we've been commissioned by the King of Kings to go into the whole world under God's authority. Um, being sent out by Jesus should give us like a great deal of confidence. There's no need to be scared or be worried because, again, as Jesus says, um, we've got all the resources of heaven and earth at our disposal. And Jesus himself has promised to be with us as we do this. In Matthew 28, he promises that. So as long as you and I are on the king's business, and we're seeking to honor his name and do his will, he'll see to us, see, see to it that we receive everything we need. Um, because he's in control, and he's got all authority. Um, secondly, here just there's clearly a responsibility to do this, I think. Um, verse 19, it's, is this phrase that says, um, God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So he's given us something here. So we have to take out this message, like we're God's chosen vehicles, as vessels for doing this. Um, there's two types. I'll just use my money here now. I brought some money with me. I borrowed it off somebody. Basically there's two types of debt we could be in. These are a bit scabby, these ten pound notes here. But let's just say, um, Let's pretend, not hardly, that John gave me £20. Okay. <coughs> so he's giving me a load of £20. Hard to believe. But for the purpose of the illustration, we'll go on with it. Um, so basically, that is John's. 
It's not actually, but it, it was George. Um, so I'm therefore in his debt. Yeah? I could give him an IOU about paper, yeah, but I'm in his debt until I give him that back, basically. Yeah? Get that. Um, alternatively, and far more likely, um, I could give £20 to John. So let's just do that, okay? There you go, John. It's not mine, actually, but forget that. <laughs> Dave's getting worried because I bothered it off Dave at the beginning. <laughs> Sorry, Dave, you'll get it back. Anyway, um, so let's just say I give John uh, a 20 quid, okay? And I say to him, um, you've got to pass it on to Matty. Okay? Um, yeah, I need you to pass it on to Matty. So, I, so oh, no, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I just said that. Don't go ruining it all, okay? <laughs> um, so it's now not that John needs to give me the money back, okay? So in the, the way that I lend the money off John, I, he, I'm not asking for it back. I've given him that money. But he does need to do something with it. He needs to pass it on. So he's still in my debt, even though I'm not asking for it back. I've entrusted John with an important task here. And he's got to go on and do the job. Um, so what would you think of John if he just took that cash and put it in his pocket? Which he wasn't going to do, which would ruin it, because I would have. Um, yeah, what would you think of him? How shame. Sorry? Typical. Typical, yes. Yes, well, obviously not, because he was right that way. But anyway, um, for John, it might be that he's too busy. It might be that he just forgets to do what he's been asked. Um, he may decide that actually he really could do with that money himself. It would be better suited if he could, just, he could, he could put it to good use himself. Um, or it might be. Really doesn't actually quite, he doesn't like Matty. Um, or somebody else is more deserving of that money. So he decides to do what he wants to do with that money. Either because he forgets or he just doesn't care. Or, but, but whatever the reason, there's no excuse, is there? It's not his to decide. <coughs> I gave him that. <coughs> I gave him clear instruction so he should get on and do it. And so how do we fare with the gift that God's entrusted to us to pass on? How much more important is God's message than 20 quid? And yet we find so many reasons for avoiding doing it, don't we? Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of um, a guy, you will, most, a lot of you will have called Hudson Taylor. He was a famous missionary and um, went to China. And um, a Chinese Christian, right, okay, after Hudson had been there for a few years, um, asked him, how long have you had, the, forget the word, the English, okay, how long have you had the glad tidings in England, okay? And then um, somewhat embarrassed, um, Hudson Taylor told them that England had known the gospel for several hundred years. What? Explained the man in a Chinese accent, probably. Um, several hundreds of years. Is it possible that you've known about Jesus for so long and only now you've come to tell us. And then he goes on to say that his father sought the truth for more than 20 years and died without finding it. Well, why did you not come sooner? And I have to ask myself, how would I have answered that question? What about those many times that I've wasted and I've passed up an opportunity to pass on God's message? Now, our instinctive response is to feel a bit ashamed, I think, and guilty, <coughs> but I don't really think that's the message that this passage of the Bible is trying to get over to us. Maybe how we react instinctively when we, when we fail to do something, but that's not what it's saying here. And these verses here are to inspire us, they're not here to shame us. Um, we just read about God's compelling love. And let's read on because 
like verse 20, um, it's got a little phrase in it that's really quite staggering. It says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. So it's what God's when God was making his appeal through us. There's a book, I don't know if some of you took this a few months ago, um, The Word on the Street, it's basically a, I had it up on the screen, but I'll have to read it. Um, it's kind of the Bible and street talk, supposedly. It's quite good, some of it. Um, I'm just going to read because it's, um, it gets this point across quite well. So um, this idea of God making the appeal through us, what does that actually mean? Right. Um, I'll read a couple of verses just so that you get the lingo because it takes a little bit to get to it. Okay. God sees us as stolen property and he's buying us back with the windfall from Jesus' sacrifice. As he gets us back, he commissions us to lengthen the get-your-life-back cues. He's got designs on the whole world to wipe out all of the messy cases against them that keep us locked up and away from them. And who better to talk about the benefits of freedom than a released prisoner? Yes, us. He does all his marketing through us. No flashy corporate image. No high-impact ads, just us. We're God's new reps. His image, his profile. He puts down to us. So we're begging you don't... uh, So we're begging you let God buy your life back. And it goes on to finish the chapter. But, um, yeah, just that bit, yes, as he does all his marketing, God does all his marketing through us. No flashy corporate image, no high impact ads, just us. We are God's new reps. His image, his profile, he puts down to us. God's chosen to make his appeal to the world through us. We are the means by which God spreads, uh, speaks to those around us. God, God's honour is in our hands. Um, you and me can cause people to either think more about Jesus or less about Jesus. Um, we are who people look at to see what Christianity is like. Our eternal home is in heaven and our job as ambassadors of Christ is to show people how amazing it is by the way we live our lives. And that should fill us with it. But the buzz, the King of Kings, God of heaven and earth, and he's chosen you and me, and he sent his son to die for you and me, so that we can have that personal relationship with him. And he's done all that, and he includes us in his plans. He wants to use you to bring his message of love and hope to a world that desperately needs it. You and I are his billboard, we're his TV adverts, and people are bombarded. Um, with things to fill their lives with, aren't they? Um, and to make false idols of. But we are to point people to Jesus. I suppose the temptation would be to, te- uh, to try and compete with like, all the gloss and the hype. But thankfully we don't need to manufacture this message. We don't need to change it because it's good enough on its own. And it's summed up at the end there in verse 21, isn't it? Be reconciled to God. And that should be our consistent plea to the lost. Um, fourthly, the last two are fairly short. So, um, but fourthly, our ambassador works um, in a foreign country and lives. But he lives in an embassy, and it's just we'll go into a little bit. But basically, um, as Christians, um, this came across in the fifth story we were doing earlier. Um, we were once citizens of uh, Satan's kingdom, living outside of God's kingdom. Yeah. Um, we certainly couldn't leave that kingdom by our own power. We couldn't make ourselves citizens of God's kingdom by our own efforts. Um, but as we've heard, Jesus has set us free, hasn't he? And he's given us a new citizenship. So we've got new passports, and they've been issued 
um, from heaven. Philippians tells us that our citizenship is, the actual words it uses, our citizenship is in heaven, um, and our names are written down in heaven. And this heavenly citizenship qualifies us. That's, what, that's the only thing that qualifies us to be God's ambassadors. In, this, in the foreign country, it's basically earth. That's how the Bible describes it. So the world that we live in is a bit alien to us, a bit foreign to us. Um, and Jesus tells us that we're no longer of the world. We're no longer ruled by sin. We're no longer bound by the principles of the world. But instead we've been changed, um, and we're constantly being changed into the image of Christ. Which should make our interests in certain things of the world become less and less. The more we mature in God, as we were learning last week, the less interested we'll be in certain things of the world. Um, yeah, we're in the world. We're in the physical here, aren't we? But we're not all of it. We're not part of the values. Um, and as believers, we need to be set apart. Um, that's kind of like the meaning, basic meaning of um, being holy and living a holy and righteous life. It's being set apart. Um, we're not to engage in sinful activities that the world promotes. And we're not to keep this dull and dishonest mind that the world creates. And again, as we learned back in Romans a few weeks ago, like our minds are to be transformed, aren't they? We renew our minds to be transformed. And that's like an ongoing daily activity. Um, we have to live in such a way that it's obvious there's something different about us. It's that kind of basic. Um, and as foreigners in this world, we're allowed to enjoy things in the world, of course. Um, beautiful creation. Um, but we're not to immerse ourselves in it in so much that we get caught up in the worldly values um, and the pleasure, and we shouldn't chase the pleasures of the world. Um, so just for a minute, last minute or so, just think about an embassy building. I don't know if you, um, if you can picture, there was, I had a picture, it wasn't that good one, of, I think it was the Cuban embassy, or the UK embassy in Cuba. But basically this big stately building, okay, I think you can probably imagine what it might look like. Um, but what, what's the relation to us? Yeah, so um, <coughs> the reason I mean, most people don't recognize the embassies of God is that we don't call them embassies, we call them churches. Yeah. And the embassy is kind of like um, the headquarters for an ambassador. Some of them live in that building, some of them work there. Um, but obviously, we're not talking about the physical building here. As a church, we're talking about the people. So when we put up that first picture, there was various people here that were ambassadors. We are the embassy um, as God's people. So as a church, um, we are one of uh, God's embassies within Liverpool. That's pretty much how it is. Um, but you'd be glad if, um, of a British embassy. If you, if you were on holiday and you get to see these trouble, you'd be pretty glad of that embassy. They'd be able to, you go to the embassy, um, Jane did it once when she lost her passport. Or she didn't lose her passport, she travelled to Kenya without a passport, an out-of-date passport. And she was pretty relieved that she could go to the embassy and get her passport sorted out. So it was a place um, that they could assist you. Um, and in the same way, our church should be a place of refuge. And it needs to be a safe house for those who are struggling um, in the battles that we face. And we need to be compassionate and caring. And we need to be building one another up. And as we learned last week, speaking the truth in love. Um, but an embassy is more than just like a cosy little nest in times of hardship. Um, Ambassadors spend a huge amount of time away from their embassies. I think they do a lot of whining and dining. Um, but they certainly go around representing the country. Um, and they can't represent the country if they only stay 
in the embassy. They have to go outside that building, don't we? They actually do it. And the same way they have to go out, so do we, don't we? We don't spend all our time in this building. Um, but they have to go out. Um, but that's where the embassy supports them. As an embassy, as a church, we need to support one another in our role as ambassadors. We can't do it alone. We're not called to do it alone. Um, when Paul's speaking here, he's speaking to the church. He's not speaking to one person when he asks them to be ambassadors. Um, to be an ambassador is to be part of a group that strengthens you and makes you wiser. And that's why we've been looking at being disciples and members over the last few weeks. Um, we do this together. And then finally, um, an ambassador, or to be an ambassador, is a great honour, or should certainly be a great honour and privilege. Um, and we want to remind ourselves of that. Um, the Lord of Heaven is making, he chooses to make his appeal through us. It should be an honour to be chosen as an ambassador and to represent um, the greatest and only God that there is. There's no need to be ashamed of Jesus and the love of God who created the whole universe and all the beauty that he is. There's no need to be ashamed of God and what he's done for us. Yes, at times we can be ashamed of the church um, and maybe ashamed of the history of some of the church. You know your church history, there might be things to be ashamed of. There might be certain things we've done as a church that we should be ashamed of. Um, yes, we can be ashamed sometimes of other Christians. Um, and maybe we shake our head in disappointment. We certainly can be ashamed of our own imperfect actions. Um, and we can certainly um, shake our heads in disappointment at our own lives. Um, but we're not ambassadors who represent or even the church or Christians or ourselves. The Bible says that we're ambassadors for Jesus Christ and that's pretty much as good as it gets. Um, it's as high a distinction as you could ever get. Um, and pretty much when I think of the word ambassador, I think of someone of high distinction. It's quite a regal title almost in some ways. And so it's with Christians. It's a really high honour and it should be a great privilege for us to be ambassadors for Jesus. Um, so just in conclusion, um, I think it's fair to say that ambassador needs to know the message of God and speak the message of God into whatever situation you're in. Um, but it doesn't mean being an ambassador. It doesn't necessarily mean standing on a street corner with big banners. Um, it simply means, I've listed a few things out here, um, it kind of means being like Jesus. Yeah? Um, having a servant heart, being kind and compassionate, challenging things that are wrong, speaking out for truth, being joyful, refusing to conform to society's standards, um, having self-control. You should do things to please God, not please man. Um, being spontaneous and creative. Um, thinking of others rather than ourselves and living life to its fullness. Um, I've got five specific examples to finish with. Um, I'll just read these out. Um, I guess we need to think about, and we'll do it this afternoon and over the next few weeks and on Thursday nights and stuff like that, but how these things may apply to um, us as individuals, but on the basis that we've been asked to do this together, okay, as ambassadors. So in the church that we've been placed, I'll read out these five things. Um, being an ambassador of Christ means having integrity in our words and our actions. Okay, so integrity means um, that you say what you say and what you do actually match up. Um, for us to be effective ambassadors, we can't go around claiming to love God and then not show 
that we love them by our actions. If people see that we're all taught and no action, they'll know that we're insincere and just hypocrites and we'll discredit God rather than bringing glory to God. That's the first one. And second one, being an ambassador to God means loving people without any agenda. We don't love people so that they will become Christians. We show them love because they are God's creation. And sometimes, as a result of that, they'll eventually come to accept Christ. But often it doesn't work out that way. And we shouldn't give up on loving them after a few months if it's no visible impact. Loving people does not mean uh, doing good deeds begrudgingly because we feel as a Christian that we should be doing these things. Um, If we act like that, we're acting out of duty, not love. Um, So sometimes it can be hard. We need to remember the example of Jesus and many times, and many of the people he showed love to just turned their back on him, didn't that be the same for us? So second one. And third one, being ambassador of Christ, means making people wish uh, that they weren't on the outside looking in. Yeah. Um, so making people wish that yeah, they weren't on the outside looking in. It means making them want to be part of a Christian community that we're part of. And in Romans, Paul says that somehow he, he says that he wants somehow he doesn't quite know how he says somehow I want to make non-Christians envious and jealous of what Christians have so that some of them will be saved um, if people see contentment joy and genuine passion when they look at a church they're going to be curious but if all they see all they see is people with the same doom and gloom and, and backbiting and all the rest um, as a godless world around them they won't be interested uh, John Wesley um, went as far as to say, sour godliness is the devil's religion. It's a quite powerful statement. Um, fourthly, um, being an ambassador of Christ means being openly honest about your faith, so not hiding it when you know you'll get stick for it. As the old saying goes, um, preach the gospel always, and when necessary, use words. So it's not always about what you say. Um, it's not always about uh, yeah, the words it's about your actions too and the question is if someone was watching your life 24-7 like Big Brother style how long would it take for them to realise that you were a Christian would it be evident um, through the way that you live your life or would it take them until you went to church on a Sunday to make the connection and then finally being an ambassador of Christ means being his hand and his feet um, to a world that desperately needs God um, now we were going to finish by showing you a little video of a band, but the internet thing connection doesn't work. So, um, there's a band called, if you go at home, actually, if you've got internet at home, do do this, because it's quite good. On YouTube, just type in Casting Crowns, and there's a song called If We Were The Body, okay? And then, it's good because it's got like a little, uh, it's a song, basically, okay, um, by a band in America. And it's like a little PowerPoint presentation as you go through it, um, which is quite good. And basically, it asks the question. Um, I'll read the verse out, but it's not really as powerful as seeing it. But anyway, um, if we were the body, why aren't the arms, his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching? Why aren't his feet going? Why is his love not showing them? Um, showing them there is a way. And basically, it's making the point that if we were serious about being ambassadors. Ask all these questions about why aren't people being touched by God, you know? And it's because us as a role of ambassador, we've got to fulfil our role as ambassadors to make that happen. 
Um, so if we're serious about being God's ambassadors, we need to reach out to the world. Um, yeah, it's what we've been called to do, and it's not an optional extra. Um, so it's really a question of what kind of ambassador do you want to be? Do you want to be a reluctant one, like um, Jonah? He's a good example of a reluctant ambassador. Um, or do you want to accept your role with eagerness and be really keen? Um, and we do this together. And hopefully there's someone who wants to do this and do it together. Um, so let's just, uh, let's just bow in prayer if we finish. Father, thank you for your words. Um, Father, thank you that um, you have made it possible for us to have a relationship with you. You've um, restored us, you've reconciled us, Lord, through um, Jesus' death. And there is nothing more amazing in this world than um, us being able to have that right relationship with you isn't tarnished by all our selfishness and all our um, deceitfulness and the like, Lord. Um, but Father, I pray that we wouldn't um, keep that to ourselves. I pray that, Lord, you would help us to be ambassadors for you that would bring glory to you and not bring shame to you. I pray, Lord, you would help us to um, stand out from the crowd, to be different, and um, and I pray, Lord, that as a church, you just help us to understand how we could help each other do that better, Lord. Um, it's not something that's easy to do. Um, we know we should do it. Um, and I just really pray that you'd help us to work out how we can yeah, support one another to do that, Lord. I pray that it would be your, your love that compels us to do that, Lord. That we wouldn't get the wrong motivations, that we wouldn't do it out of selfish ambition, but we do it because your love draws us to you and draws us to want to share your um, message with those around us, those we know, Lord. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.